Hello, brethren, and welcome back to our segment entitled True Pastoring. It's always good to be with you. And today in this segment, I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we're going through the epistle of 1 and 2 Timothy with Titus in between, we're looking at this, brethren, as the pastoral epistles. Again, as we just want to glean from them, not more much of an exposition, although it is, but just from the heart that I may share with you uh, from these epistles, what a true pastor, what true pastoring looks like. We want to look at these epistles in that capacity, um, as we've talked about before, especially for the, the young pastor, uh, the one who's been pastoring for uh, a while or quite some time and... and um, just desires to live out his calling, to exercise his calling, if you will, with the utmost sincerity and devotion to the one who's called him. You know, when we get into 2 Timothy, we're going to see the seriousness that Paul tells Timothy, liking it to a soldier, that we may please the one who enlisted us as a soldier. We're in a fight, brethren. In a fight this day and age in the 21st century is a fight literally for the word of God, the pure word of God, the pure doctrine of grace, the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul says saves and is the power of God unto salvation everyone who believes. And again, I'm just thrilled that we can spend some time together today uh, in this fourth chapter as we journey through First and Second Timothy and Titus and and see what God has to say about a pastor, about leading the flock, uh, being an example. We've talked about previously in our last three times together um, how Paul is urging, he's calling his gospel, which is his gospel, the gospel that God has delivered to him to his trust. We see that, remember, in the first chapter, uh, verse 11. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. You know, when we take ownership of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and to see that that is the very means by which some individual is saved through the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that it was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that's the gospel which we stand, and that is the gospel by which we are saved. And so as we were going through, we also see that uh, the, the saving of Paul, uh, how God showed long-suffering and, and, and mercy on Paul, and that set a pattern to all those who would, would come to the faith through him. And everybody that was born again has been seized by Christ himself, uh, as Paul was. And... Uh, then we went on into chapter 2, and we just talked about the fact that the true shepherd, the true pastor, will have that desire that God has, that all men will be saved. God desires that none would perish. He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Um, it seems that there is such an atmosphere, uh, a spiritual dilemma, if you will, even among well-meaning pastors here, to please uh, their flock, to say those things, to draw in crowds, to draw in a well-meaning message. But you know the gospel, the gospel saves. 
You know, the gospel convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts one of sin that he might turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The true ministers we see in, in the second chapter, the fifth verse, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, one, and that's it. There is only one way to God. It is popular nowadays to to investigate different ways or investigate different means or to you know think that God might bend just a little bit. God's standard is the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% righteous and pure. And without that righteousness of Christ imputed to our account, we are lost and undone and have no hope. Last week, brethren, last time we were together, we studied in the third chapter about how a true shepherd, a true overseer, uh, must behave. What he, what his character must be like. Uh, blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, and so forth. Um, you know, it's it's a a well understood fact that a man is equipped by Christ Himself. He is called by Christ Himself. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit Himself. We looked at the fact of of it's not the seminary that makes the man. It's not the high higher learning that makes the pastor. It's the one that has been called. And the one who takes his calling seriously and bows the knee to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, you've called me, you've enabled me, now send me out and use me as the vessel that you desire. When we ended last time we were together, brethren, with that wonderful John, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, there is no argument, you know, Without controversy, great is the mystery of God of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. We spent some time discussing the, the minister of the true shepherd of Jesus Christ would point to to the true shepherd, to the Lord Himself, as being fully God and yet fully man on our behalf. This, the, today I just want to uh, hit on First Timothy chapter four as we as we look forward to seeing what God has to say about what we are to be. You know, sometimes the uh, I've seen it, and we've read about it, and it's the fact of there's a lot of well-meaning pastors out there that start out so strong and so true to the Word, and yet through pressure of watering the gospel down or pressure of, of losing his flock or, or pressure of financial reasons or for what have you, the pressure is tremendous, and you know we know the the reasons behind this. Satan, as we see in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, disguises himself as an angel of light, and there's no wonder. Even his ministers disguise themselves that way. Tremendous pressure. You know, it's often been said that Satan doesn't have anything to do with the sleeping dogs, only the barking ones. When we walk and we speak on the Lord's behalf. Our adversary, Peter says, is roaring about like a lion, waiting for someone he might devour. So we must stay true, brethren, and stay strong. Remember, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that you serve. It's, the, it's on his behalf that you speak. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says that very well. How we're not only new creatures in Christ, but that we're ambassadors 
and and we're pleading with men as God. We're pleading through us. We are His spokesman, His ambassador. What a serious, serious call. And the pastor is going to be attacked. He's going to have accusations thrown at him. He's going to have the enemy whispering doubts, whispering temptations. You know, the third chapter of James, brethren, where it says, My brethren, not, not, not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall incur a stricter judgment. You read the context of that third chapter, and we see it's, not, it's dealing with the tongue. Not only the, the, you know, the, the wrong use of the tongue, the swearing, the taking the Lord's name in vain, and so forth, but I believe it's also uh, regarding the, the teacher. You know, we're going to be held accountable. Um, the way we use our speech, the way we communicate the Word of God, must be matched with our life, our example. And that will be more and more evident, brethren, as we go through these epistles. I love the way that the Lord has set up First and Second Timothy with Titus, because by the time we get to Second Timothy, and, and, and nearing the end, again, we can see the Apostle Paul, almost in desperation, speaking to uh, Timothy as, as a young pastor. Uh, Paul's about ready to leave this earth, and uh, you can just see the feverish pitch is absolutely wonderful. I think, brethren, that a lot of pastors have lost that today. Uh, they've lost that fever. They've lost that... Uh, Almost that drive, that godly drive that that uh, enables us to do what we do. And again, if you read Second Corinthians chapter four, um, dealing with the ministry, uh, the power is of God and not of us. We have in these earthen jars, these earthen vessels of clay, if you will, uh, the power of God. That so He might receive the praise, that we He might receive the glory. Why? How could He use somebody like us? Um, to communicate the eternal word of God is is just a wonderful and yet a very serious uh, calling. So let's read a little bit in 1 Timothy 4, brethren, get the fever, and then we'll just hit some highlights and, and we'll, we'll make today a little bit more brief as we, as we consider uh, moving on through these glorious pastoral epistles. Now the Spirit expressly says... That in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You know, brethren, the Spirit expressly says. It is something that the Spirit is earnestly saying in these latter times. And if these times were, were, were stressful and urgent in the first century, my friends, uh, 20 centuries later we see the same announcement. You know, I was asked one time what I thought the Apostle Paul would say uh, if he came back and, and saw the church in desperation like this. Nothing that he hasn't already said, brethren. I believe that the eternal word of God is just that, the eternal word of God. Just as we look at the seven churches in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we see how they speak not only historically of, of where they're at at that time, but the actual message is 
goes spans the church age and speaks to all the churches, uh, especially leading to the downfall of the Church of the Laodiceans. You know, um, here I think the same thing. Uh, both Timothy, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, all manifest this urgent in the latter times. This church is going to experience, this professing church is going to experience those that will depart. This is, this is classic apostasy, brethren, where it is a departure from that which is right. It is a willful departure from the truth. Willful speaking lies, verse 2, and hypocrisy, because their own conscience is seared. You know, my t one of my mentors, William McDonald, is often saying that, these men that, that have suffered sip, sip, uh, shipwreck and, and so forth and have their conscience seared, they've left off of a tender conscience. In other words, they have, they have moved away from a tender conscience towards not only the things of Christ, but the very word of Christ itself. And as we'll see, uh, not only in verse 15 of this chapter, but as we move on, we're not only to meditate on these things, we're also to study and show ourselves approved. We're to get into the Word of God and let it get into us. Paul said the same thing again to the Thessalonians. He thanked them and he, and he encouraged them because he commended that the fact that they saw this, these documents as not the Word of men, but what they are in truth, the Word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. Listen, brethren, if we speak the Word of God faithfully, We've, we, we expound it sincerely with all that we have. We follow that up with a life that is lived with Jesus Christ according to the scriptures, exemplary life. That's power, and we leave the results up to God. What a wonderful place to be. But we know that the faithful minister, that the pastor, must realize that we are in very desperate times. We are in very perilous times. You know, listen to what Paul will say in Second Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, again, we have latter days, last days, that moment of the church as we approach the, the rapture, the catching away of the church, we approach the end of the church age, and brethren, we are there. He says that, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, on and on and on. Irreconcilable. They'll be lovers of God less and less and less. And self takes over, interest takes over, false doctrine takes over, popularity takes over, and the things of God take a back seat. Wow, some of these things are very frightening to behold. But as we see, as we go on, um, these the apostles are absolutely speaking of these times. You know, I noticed that when we went through the epistles uh, in the Foundation of Life, our home church some time ago, it was amazing to me to see how... The apostles all feverishly warned about these times. They warned about apostasy. They warned about the church leaving its first love. Listen to what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 2. 
but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Brethren, this is apostasy. This is heresy. They will bring on themselves swift destruction. And then he follows that up by saying, and many will follow their pernicious ways. Many will follow. Not just a few, but many will follow them. Jude talks about them in unprecedented terms uh, in the epistle of Jude. Uh, about were to contend earnestly for the faith because certain men have crept in unnoticed long ago. Men that will deny the grace of God and will turn into lewdness the doctrine of Christ. How much more, I think, we, we can't get much more bold than that. John, in his way through, as we see First John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they're of God whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, it just, it never, it never gets old to understand the fact that God will warn his people of apostasy. God will warn of false teaching and false prophecies and, and departure from the word of God. I, my, it is not my intention here, brethren, to expound on the movements today that, are, that are, are absolutely apostate. False teachers abound. Um, Satan knows that his time is short. You know, we read in, in Revelation chapter 12. He, he knows his time is short. That he accuses the brethren night and day. And uh, we see these movements all around us, brethren, uh, to be a pastor in the 21st century is to literally see in the latter days of, as these men of God are speaking in the word of God that people are leaving the faith by droves. People are apostating. We must guard our sheep at all costs, brethren. The imagery here is of the shepherd that is out with the sheep by day, finding good grazing pasture for them, taking care of them, making sure the parasites are, are, are not on the coats of the, of the sheep, making sure that they feed with tender grass and get fresh water. But at night we see that they lead them into the sheep pen and the shepherd sleeps between the guarded sheep in the sheep pen and the door so that no wolves can come in and harm the sheep. Because in these last days, there are going to be those out there that are going to bring in heresies. They're going to speak lies and hypocrisy. And we as the, as the pastors of the Word of God um, must be on guard at all times. Verse 3, it says, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know and believe in the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it was received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You know, the, the, the pastor will always teach about the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. You know, it is so amazing to me, brethren, that when we look at, at all of, of what men try to do, and some of them are sincere, but they, the Lord gave us freedom 
He said in John 10.10, 10, the thief only comes to destroy and to kill. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. You know, there's the true shepherd will alleviate uh, restrictions. Uh, you know, not putting do's and don'ts, but living in freedom. You know, Jesus, I love when he said that, I am the shepherd of the sheep. Anybody who enters in by me as the door will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. There is freedom by walking in Jesus Christ. It's not the do's and the don'ts. It's the love. The love is what sets us free. Walking in Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. And these, there are pastors out there that want to bind men down. Want to make church rules. Make it a requisition that people would would walk in a certain way. They must walk in a certain way in order to be saved. There's denominations, for example, that say you must be baptized by them to be saved. There's some uh, denominations, if you will, churches out there that say unless you are baptized in water, you can't be saved. We could go on and on, brethren. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, um, you know, that was the, what the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 was all about. We need to realize that. Well-meaning uh, religious Pharisees that came to Christ and they realized that Jesus of Nazareth was the coming Messiah. He came as the scripture prophesied. But they said, but they still must be circumcised and keep the law. And we, we see from uh, the Apostle Peter and James himself that, that that's just not the case. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. That not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. We have freedom in Christ. What we do in love, we the things that we should not do, we only do because we don't want to make our brethren stumble. That's why the scripture says, if meat makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat. It's not because he's prohibited to eat meat. It's because out of love he doesn't want to make his brethren stumble. That's freedom. And it takes years of understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ will change our heart. We will walk with him in sincerity and in truth. Not forbidding people to do this, not forbidding people to do that, but that people would walk in love. And brethren, I want to touch on this a little bit because this is a very misunderstood concept. Love. Love fulfills the law, the Bible says. Love covers a multitude of sins. The Bible says, but I want to bring out what the Apostle Paul talks about love in Romans chapter 13. And I just want to read this to you real quick, brethren, so we can realize what the true pastor needs to teach and exemplify in his own life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians, or excuse me, in Romans 13. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Do not commit adultery, do not do this. If I, if I love my, my brother, I'm not going to commit adultery on him. If I love him, I'm not going to I'm not going to be false witness. 
If I love my brother, I'm not going to eat meat if I know that makes him stumble. If I love my brother, I don't want him to come over and, and I'm, I have the freedom to have a glass of wine or whatever, but I don't do that because I don't want to make my brother stumble. Everything is done in love. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That is freedom. I have freedom. The Bible says only don't use your freedom as a cloak of covetousness, a license. But I have freedom to walk in love. Wow. No wonder verse 6, back in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6 says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine by which you have carefully followed. Look what he says next, brethren. Verse 7, But reject profane and old wise fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. Bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. For this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. You know that what we do down here is directly going to be affected of, of, of the afterlife we will be with in heaven. You know, what we do down here is very important, brethren. It's just not something that, well, we're occupying the time that Jesus comes we're, we are doing the things that he asks us to do because we are preaching an eternal word. We are allowing the eternal Holy Spirit to, to live within us, to produce good works. What we are doing is an eternal account. What you are doing, every Christian has that privilege. Yet, brethren, for the sake of our study, I want to focus on the pastor. Every pastor has this immense privilege and duty. Everything we do is eternal. We speak the eternal word of God, but we speak it with power and authority, and that power and authority is backed up by a godly life. Wow. Because again, in verse 8, he says, hey, we can exercise our body. That profits, you know. Might give us a little bit longer life or more quality of life. But look, he says, godliness is profitable for all things. Having promised not only for this life, we want to win souls. We want to mature Christians. We want to expound the word of God so that when we feed the young in Christ, that they may grow up and feed themselves by term feed others. But look at what this says. Not only promise in this life, but brethren, everything we do has the promise for the life which is to come. Wow, that's amazing. Everything eternal, that changes everything. The Apostle Paul was always looking, had always looking to the, the eternal uh, aspect of his life. We are eternal beings now. We have eternal life abiding in us. Remember, brethren, our citizenship is in heaven. Let's be ambassadors for heaven. Let's put that first and foremost for the sake of the elect for the sake of maturing brethren, that they might in turn uh, mature those in the future. He says, verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor, verse 10, and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. You know, the Savior of all men, 
Obviously, those that are without Christ, God is giving them even the breath that they breathe, even the breath that they're using to blaspheme him, he provides. He gives grace and mercy, but that grace is going gonna, is gonna to come to an end. There's going to come to a time when, at the end of this life, that there is no second chance, that there is no uh, turning back. You know, I, I've, I've thought about this, the famous, I always heard it through, uh, Billy Graham said it for years, but it, it is so true. It's in the Proverbs, and, and we need to understand that this life is precious. We don't know how long we have on this earth. We don't know how long we have to expound the Word of God. We don't know that if today is the last day uh, of our ministry. But I've heard a famous uh, preacher say one time years and years ago, and I've always kept it in my forefront, and I believe this is exactly what we should be looking at as pastors and how we should live our life. We need to teach and preach every message as if it was our last. Absolutely into the Word of God. Speaking the Word of God, not lightly, not brushing over the ports of the Lord, but speaking it as if it were our last. You know, the Proverbs, in Proverbs 29, verse 1, it says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You know, God is having, it's the day of grace. People hear the word of God. They get the opportunity to hear the word of God. When was the last time you spoke to someone of Christ, pastor, outside of your pulpit? When was the last time you desired and prayed for your congregation and prayed that, that somebody that is so needful of the Word of God would come right in the middle of your path, that you would carry out your, your ministry to the utmost? Because remember, Satan is doing feverishly his job to distort the gospel, to infiltrate the, the church with false brethren, and we as, as the true pastors and ministers of the Word of God, I would have highly recommend reading Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 33, and chapter 34 to get a glimpse of, of this immense responsibility that God has given the watchmen or the true ones that speak for God. It's, uh, it's inter interesting that... Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.11, these things command and teach. Command them. Be truthful about them. Be very forthright with the word of God who you are speaking to. He says, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and brethren in purity. Now this is the running theme that we're going to be in all through these studies of First and Second Timothy and Titus, right here. Be an example to the believers. You know, I remember quite some little while ago, actually it wasn't too long ago, we had a very eloquent speaker 
a very great orator, if you will, speaking of, of, of things that concern this great country, and yet turning around and desecrating the highest office of the land. That's what a lot of unfaithful pastors are doing right now, brethren. They might be speaking the word. They might have a lot of higher learning. They might have an education in, in, uh, in speaking and preaching through a seminar or what have you. And yet their lives are destroying the very testimony that their lips are giving. On and on in these epistles and through the word of God, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. The word of God is filled with the fact of being an example to the believers in word, in word, everything that comes out of our mouth, in conduct. How do you conduct your life, brethren? In the pulpit and out. How's your home life? How's your thought life? Yes, our thought life that's uh that's a hurdle that only you and the Lord can deal with, but once you allow the Lord to permeate your thought life, uh, you'd be amazed at the flooding of peace. You know the good pastor always teaches two kinds of peace: there's the peace with God when we come to Christ and receive him as our Lord and our Savior, and we're saved from sin and we're born again and complete in him. But also we have the peace of God that passes understanding. Notice how, as we're going on in our in our scripture here, it says that we're not only to be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith. Faith. What is faith? Faith is receiving what God has said in the scriptures concerning concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and taking it as what it is, the word of God. But look at the last part of this verse, impurity. Wow. Time would fail me if I went over the years, especially in the last 50 or 60 years, the, the, uh, the pastors and the, the ones in authority that have fallen uh, because of, of impurity, you know, impurity. Uh, Immorality, you know, sexual immorality is, is such a big deal today. And that was one of the age-old things that Satan is constantly trying to, uh, to do. And uh, so you want to be an example, brethren. Word and conduct and love, spirit, faith and purity. The reason why I keep bringing these things, I believe the scripture is, is the perfect balance with doctrine and the example of the lifestyle, you know, as C.I. Schofield has mentioned before, uh, long ago, correct doctrine does lead to correct living. And I, I absolutely believe the scriptures teach that. But look at verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give attention to it. You know, there. Uh, if we look back, way back, the Bible is full of reasons why this is so you know and we we think so many times of the prophets and how they were constantly speaking the word of god and they were constantly walking as uh as men that were commissioned to speak the word of god but you know public reading you know there is uh if we look in in uh in nehemiah chapter 8 the wonderful thing how you know as as the Jews were coming back from from uh, captivity and uh 
uh, Nehemiah, remember, had, you know, has, was weeping because the walls were broken down around Jerusalem and, and he had brought back uh, people, you know, from the captivity. And to make a long story short, when, when it's in Nehemiah chapter 8, this, this proclaiming of the word, this attention to public reading, the exhortation, we see it so soundly in examples in the word. But I just want to bring Nehemiah's example to you. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8. And it just said that now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear it with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square and was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Can you imagine now people, people squabbling and, and complaining about sermons being too long? Not being able to hear the word of God for an hour, let alone an hour and a half or two hours. These people stood in front of the water gate from morning until midday. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on the platform of wood which we had made for the purpose. And beside him in his right hand stood, and he names off several elders. And Ezra says in Ezra 8, verse 5, Ezra opened the book of this in the sight of all the people. For he was standing when he opened it, and all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, while lifting their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And it goes on. You know, brethren, I think that there's a lot of talking going on out there. There's a lot of storytelling going on out there. There's a lot of, you know, examples going on. There's just a lot of plain talk. I liken it to a filler in a hot dog. There's a lot of talk going on. There's a lot of surmising going on. There's a lot of opinions going on. And there's not that much pure, unadulterated Word of God being preached, followed up by godly living and power. Wow. He says, give attention again to reading exhortations of doctrine. Look at verse 14 as we close out our study today, brethren. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by the prophecy of the laying on of hands of the eldership. Do not neglect the gift. You know, there's so many men out there that... Uh, you know, this is what they do. You know, they look forward to retirement. They look forward to this. And they, they kind of teach and preach the Word of God as if it's a part-time job. Listen, as Dr. Barnhouse said to that woman so long ago about her son that wanted to be just like Dr. Barnhouse, a pastor and a Bible teacher, the commission went out. Mrs., you know, if your son could be satisfied doing anything else, and maybe God hasn't called him into the pastorate, but he, if he cannot be satisfied with any other occupation, a banker, fireman, policeman, what have you, then maybe God has called him into the pastorate. Um, not neglect, neglecting that gift, not putting it aside, not, not just, you know, well, I'll work on it sometime later. Look at verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. 
Verse 16, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. That is a strong admonition to the power of the word of God. The dynamis power. That is where we get our word dynamite. That is how explosive the word of God is. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dynamis. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Paul says that in Romans 1.16. We're, we're, Paul is admonishing his young pastor, meditate on these things, Timothy. Give yourself entirely to them, brethren. Immerse yourself in them. Expound the whole weight of your being on them. It is strong enough to hold you up and more. God will never let you fall. His word is power and strength. You can rest your whole life on it. And by doing that, you will be an example for your uh, the ones that, are, that God has entrusted to your care, that they would be able to lean their whole life on the word of God, every fiber of it, because it is the word of God. So, brethren, I just want to encourage you today to take your calling seriously. If there is anything that you have have allowed to fall by the wayside, if there's anything you've allowed to get in uh, that might be taking predominance uh, over your ministry, over your pastorate, over your uh, your love and your fervent for your the people that God has put under you, Lord, confess it to him. Confess it to him. And you want to be a pure vessel. You want to be bright and clean. You know, Thomas, uh, Ian Thomas, years and years ago, of the, of the uh, torchbearers, he said, this is Ian Thomas, he said, true spirituality is being available to God. So brethren, as pastors, let us take that seriously and that our Lord might be glorified and that we might, be, might be, bear not only much fruit, but the fruit that remains. So brethren, I praise you. Uh, I praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he has given this word out today. I thank you for being here. I pray that we would look forward to our next time, that we take these things to heart. And until then, brethren, God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This is the ground and the pillar of the truth. We're looking at servants, mainly the pastor, but yet we have deacons, ones that serve, ones that, the, that take on the servitude so that the pastor might lead and feed why the servants, as far as the deacons go, might exercise the service of the church. He says in verse 15, But if I am delayed, I write, so that you may know how to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church, brethren, as a whole today in America, I'm sad to say, has left the fact that it should be the pillar and ground of the truth. We have seeker-friendly churches now. We have churches that have lost the way, that are more into entertaining men, that are getting numbers, that, that are doing things, instead of being the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, way back, I believe it was A.W. Tozer who said that 
the hardest thing is to get people to come to church when they know that that God is the main attraction. And that was said, brethren, I believe, back in the 50s or very early 60s. How much more so today? We should be constantly dredging forth as an ox, plowing and plowing and plowing with the strength that God gives us. And here's the reason, brethren, verse 16, and I'll end with this verse. I've heard and very much enjoyed our time together today, and I, I pray that it would be an encouragement to you that we, as we go along these studies, we're going to see that, the, that God calls men, that Jesus Christ ordains men into the ministry, calls men. We need to, be, we need to heed his calling and follow him. Look at verse 16, brethren, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is without controversy. In other words, this is, this is not negotiable. This is not up for debate. This is not up for speculation. It's not up for anything other than what it is, the truth. Look at this, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. John says that's the spirit of Antichrist is when they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the spirit of Antichrist. But here we see, brethren, that, that the pastor is to, this is the way it is, this is the truth, and nothing but the truth, and that is what we are to teach, and that is what we are to stand on, this mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, he was seen by angels. He was preached on among the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. And he was received up in glory. He's preached among the Gentiles. You know that the prophets said that he was a light to the Gentiles. He would be believed. Jesus said, if I lift myself up from the earth, all men will know that I am he. He was believed on in the world. You know, everywhere in the world, not all are converted, but there are some in every parts of the world, every, you know, decade and, and year that we go the course of this life, there are some from all parts of the world that are believing in him to eternal life. And why would they believe in him to eternal life? How will we know that we have eternal life? You know, there's so many, much speculations about what it means to please God. How do we know? How do I know that I am saved? How do I know that God is pleased? Well, Paul, Paul in his first chapter of Romans, he says an amazing thing. He said, called to be an uh, apostle separated in the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Listen to this, brethren. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. We're, he's believed on in the world we are born-again Christians because he was received up into glory. God raised him from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. He's in the presence of the Father for us, the Bible says. 
Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Today, we must hear the cross in the pulpit. The Apostle Paul, who is instructing his young pastor, says this to the Corinthians, I believe. I want to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. We are saved by the gospel and the gospel alone. As we go next time, when we get together, brethren, and we get into chapter 4, we start shifting a little bit of a different avenue of what the pastor needs to teach. Some are going to depart from the faith. Some are going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We're going to get into that quite extensively next time in our visit. You know, Timothy was very fond of Paul and, and uh, was commended by Paul for, for going with him on his work. He sat under Paul. He saw Paul and, and the things Paul went through. We are going to see as we go on, especially to end the second Timothy, the feverish pitch that Paul had as he was entering the twilight of his life. He knew that, that his time had come, that his martyrdom was soon. And as he's speaking to young Timothy, as much as, as we need to hear today, that he is urgent that Timothy would hang in there and preach nothing but the truth, be ready in and out of season, to not bend, you know, to be uh, that same ongoing character, not bending, not bending for anything, and standing up for the truth, and being an example, being filled with love. I think the true pastor today has no other greater calling. You know, I, I remember, and I'll close with a statement of the late Dr. Barnhouse says he was going uh, on one of his conference tours. Um, and I believe I would mentioned this before, but it's, I know it's been true in my life and I've seen it true in, in all pastors' life, true pastoring and true pastors that I have seen and fellowshiped with. The woman came up to Dr. Barnhouse and said, my son wants to be a pastor and a teacher just like you. And Dr. Barnhouse looked at the mother and said, if little Johnny, if he could be content with being anything else, whether it be a fireman, a banker, a doctor, what have you, then that's what he should be. If he could be content being anything else, God probably has not called him to be a pastor. High calling? Yes. Im utterly impossible on our own strength, but very possible and probable and very, very uh, worthwhile to give our life to the ministry. Brethren, has God called you into the ministry? Hang in there with us with these messages. Explore the word and these epistles with us. And I think we'll become away with a refreshed understanding of the true pastor and how he is to live and teach. And our God and Father, I thank you that you have given us your word and that we are attentive to it. And I pray that this would add not only encouragement, but accountability to those of us who you have called to feed your precious word, to be an example of the God we so graciously serve. And Father, I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll look forward to next time together, brethren. Until then, God bless you.
She loves much because she is calm and she understands she's been forgiven a boatload of sin. And by that very nature, she loves much. Ah, love. There we go. Back in 1 John 4.10, and again, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And I will end at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Propitiation. Talked about that before. It was a propitiated sacrifice. What that means is that he laid down a sacrifice, the only sacrifice that God will accept on your and mine's behalf. There is only one way to God. There is only one sacrifice that will get us there. And Jesus Christ laid it down and paid it to the full. And God was pleased that Christ died in your place by raising him from the dead. And by believing in that, you are born from above. Your sins are forgiven you. We overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. By that very nature, we are born again by the very love that God had for me by sending Christ in my place. That love is now residing within me. (laughs) How can we tell the difference between one who knows God and one who doesn't. How can we have a surety in our hearts that we're born again? Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does the Spirit always do? Point us to Christ. Point us to Christ. Jesus said he loved his own and loved them to the end. Wow. God always has his remnant, his body. And they will walk in in love. And I believe that there's been so much ridicule of the Christian church uh, in the, the, well, you know, as I've said before, you know, I've been a Christian for a while. Just in the three decades that I've known Christ, I've seen such a, a shift in things. You know, once that was things that were solid, now aren't solid, you know. Uh, churches that used to be known for their uh, their faith and their standing on the rock are now being shifted and now don't teach the things they used to. But that's no cause for alarm for us, for you and I, because we know that God, we are safe in Him. We don't want that Elijah syndrome, you know, where he goes into the cave and he says, man, I, I'm alone that's left. That's now. I have, you know, reserved for me those that have not bowed the knee to anything else. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I'll end with this statement Jesus said in John 10 10. The thief only comes to kill still, and destroy. But I have come that you might not only have life, but that you might have it abundantly, joyously. The one that knows Christ may sound alarming, may be watching on the wall. You read about, uh, you know, Jeremiah, especially Ezekiel. 
They sent him as a watchman on the wall. And God said, you know, if, if you see that, we see in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verses 33, or chapter 33 and elsewhere, you know, if you see that, if you hear the sound of the trumpet, the warning, and you give faithful warning, and men turn, great. If they don't turn, the blood's on their own hands. But if you hear the warning, or you see the warning, and you hear the trumpet, and you don't warn them, Their blood is on your head. And we don't have time to turn there because I said we were done. But you look in Acts chapter 20, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian elders. He says, I've told, taught you nothing but things that will be proffered you. I am innocent of the blood of all men. And that is what he means there. He's innocent of the blood of all men. He's heard the trumpet. He sees the, the, the thing come, the judgment coming and the warning coming, and he is sound. He pleaded day and night for three years with tears. The whole counsel of God. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. And yet, we know Paul was, was well, he wrote Philippians, and some call that the epistle of joy. But, but did that guy have joy? Absolutely. Did Peter have joy? Absolutely. He wrote about the joy inexpressible and full of glory. Did John have joy? Oh, yeah. It was serious. And then I, I promise you I will end with this. One of my favorite sayings or writings out of Peter's writing. But the end, this is 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be silly. Hey, and therefore, party with Jesus. No. He says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful unto prayers. But how does he close that? Listen to this next verse. But above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Brethren, there's more to this Christian life than just knowing doctrine. and It's knowing Him. And it's understanding that He is so desirous to make himself known. That's how John opens up his first epistle about fellowship. You have seen and heard and declared to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He said, these things we write to you that so that your joy may be full. We need to be serious about these times and about what we say and what we do. Great. You want to pray, please? Lord God, we thank you for your word that you've spoken today. We want to be serious and, and know you, Lord. And we ask that you, you reveal yourselves through the, the word 
And we ask that we you put it in our hearts for us to get in the Word every day, not just at Bible study or at church, Lord, but have fellowship with you every single day. And we ask that you go before us throughout our week, throughout our day, and prepare the way for us, Lord, and give us the will to do your will. In the name of Jesus' name. Amen. Of this. He's describing a man who's been born again that as he goes to the Oriental bathhouse, so as he takes a bath, he's cleansed from all unrighteousness, and yet when he's walking back to the house, his feet will acquire defilement, and thus wash his feet. But he himself is clean from all that the law could say or accuse him. And it's beautiful, because that's what we are. And when we have defilement, we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wise, he's just, because he took the condemnation himself. He fulfilled every bit of the law for you and I. And he also took the condemnation and the judgment for the breaking of that law for you and I. So he's just. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins, our defilement, he is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Keep on sinning. Wow. We can't because we've been born of God. Nor do you need to. You know? That's what separates biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world. And I only say religion as far as Christianity is just by means of comparison. By no means does the Bible talk favorably about religion. Religion is always the outward show. We as baptism and one baptized in the body, we show the world what has already happened and taken place on the inside. That's the meaning of baptism. So when you go baptize in the river wherever you get, you show the world. When I was baptized in Corleone Bay in North Lake Tahoe, I was signifying to the world and to my parents, something has happened to me. I believe this gospel. I believe this word of God. My sins have been, I've been forgiven. That Jesus Christ is now my Lord. I'm not my Lord anymore. I walked to a different drumbeat, and that's to him. And I've never looked back. And I'm thankful I haven't. Because Paul says that, you know, you can run a race. And if you run it in such a way, there's a, there's a reward and there's a crown waiting for you. And I want that crown and I want that reward. I want to see my Lord. I'm expecting to see him. I want to see him. I can't wait to see him. Because I know that when I see him, I will be with him forever. I just want to end these verses probably for my own sake. Because right now, folks, I think that is a time for comfort. I think that, you know, you can read these verses and you can look at sin so much, you can tend to get, uh, feel like you've getting pummeled with things. And it's not the fact that we pummel because somebody's life might not be as righteous as mine. But we admonish these things so that we might see that the Lord desires that we'd have nothing in the way of Him. You know? We even say it in our wedding vows. You forsake all others. You know, I remember talking, you know, we did Jen and Joe's wedding. You know, you, are you willing to forsake all others? Okay. What does that mean? 
Well, there's not too many. There's, there are people out there, but there, most people don't actually commit the physical adultery maybe on the wife, but they sure do in so many other ways. And if that's true in the physical realm of, of relationships down here, well, it's more, it's more uh, abundant with our Christian life. There are so many things. The devil and everything is clamoring for our attention. The flesh wears its ugly head when you don't think it will. The moment you think you've got everything under control, here it comes. Look out. The moment you think you've been having a pretty good day, man, and you've talked to a couple of people about Christ, one might have given his life for Christ, and you're relishing in the, in the glow of it, watch out. You know, let's make up our mind now. So when it comes, you're dealing with it. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. That's, that's my wife and I's verse out of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. But listen to this. I'll leave you with the, with the first six verses of, of the discourse in John 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms, or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's going and preparing a place for you, for me, individually. You know, as a corporate part of his body, he loves you. He's going to tailor this for you. I believe this with all my heart. Because my God's like that. He loves us individually. He's tailoring a place for you, exactly what you want. You know, people down here, they want to find the perfect house. And, you know, I mean, we've been selling our house for almost a year now. I know. I'm after all kinds of things. Oh, you know, it's great, but we want this. Oh, it's great. He is tailoring something, I believe, with all my heart, that is going to just dazzle us for eternity. I can't wait to see that. He loves you. And, and we flirt with sin? In my Father's house, are, again, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you with him. And we're going we're gonna to forsake that in sin? We're going to forsake that and entertain uh, pride and, and, and everything else? Is it tough? Hey, did anybody say the Christian life was going to be easy? Paul says, I die daily. So he's going to go prepare this fantastic place. You know, I don't have to worry about, well, hey, you know, is it going to be something I want? It will be exactly what I was designed to love and to dwell in because that's who God is. And if I go and prepare a place for you again, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know, and where I, I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus takes it from the material to the spiritual. Life. Life is not this. Life is Him. We don't know where you're going to go. Leave us a map or something. You know, let us know. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow. Lord, um, the Lord has shown me the last, well, when I really understood where we're going, and the time is short for, for us here, but I love you guys, and that's my heart. That's the heart of the Lord, and I, I, I would be you know, I used to tell my sons, if you don't tell somebody the truth, you're not really being a truthful friend to them. And there's so much more to this life than just what meets the eye. You know, they say that those that are suffer great loss, suffer problems in their life. I mean, uh, we've all had tragedy, death, uh, whatever. That those who, who, who stick to the Lord and allow Him to take them through them find an intimacy with Him that most people don't. But we also understand the Bible talks about those that give up their life, that give up what they, they don't need, and they grab what they cannot afford to lose. There's an intimacy and a joy there that the Bible talks about that few nowadays know about, few as far as the masses go. And that's what we want. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And Lord, but I, I thank you for the Lord of the word. It so eloquently points to who you are and your character. Father, I pray that if there are those listening that have not surrendered everything, intellect, pride, um, whatever to you, that they would do it. Because it, nobody needs to be taught. It's the Spirit that teaches us to abide in Christ. I pray that would be their lot, because what is it worth if man gains a whole world and that you know, loses? What is a gain? If we have 20 more days left and we, we live it half-heartedly, I pray that we would... We would we would consider and accept nothing less than excellency. Nothing less than the Word of God operating in our life. Again, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would go with us as we go, and give us joy that our joy might be full. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.